It's episode 126 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show. This podcast provides the tools you need to create your own expression of a healthy ketogenic lifestyle so you can stop obsessing and start living. I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, hey, friends. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, for joining me on this episode of Keto for Women. Today, we have a very special guest, a woman that I am incredibly excited to introduce you to. And I will just really want you to hear her story and share her experiences and gain some insight about how important, of course, nutrition and diet is to being a healthy person with a healthy body, but then all the other stuff, right? All the things that we've been talking about quite a bit here on the Keto for Women show throughout the past 125 episodes, the other things that we need to do to become holistically healthy and take a holistic approach to our wellness in all categories. That's what I love about Heather's story. So we're going to get into her interview in just a few minutes. Really quick, just one little announcement reminder, really, which is hey, I have a new podcast. And I think you all know that by now. But if you don't, head over to wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Just while you're listening, click it open and search Unstuck. That's the name of my new podcast. It is a mindset for women podcast. It is full of short, sweet, no fluff mindset tools and ideas and concepts and action items for you to get into a better mindset, no matter what your current mindset is. It's really important. Here we are talking about, yes, diet is so important to healing the body, but then also what are the other things that are potentially keeping you stuck that you're not looking at? And what I have found in working with thousands of women over the past five years as a nutritionist is that mindset is where we are lacking, looking at your emotional and mental health when it comes to life overall, and then seeing how that plays out in reaching or not reaching your goals, feeling good or not feeling good, getting well or not getting well, or any other aspect of life. So I have now taken it upon myself to start yet another podcast to spend more time with you, giving you more information and education and inspiration to do more with your life and think about more when it comes to your health and your body and things that you want. So that's what I do over on Unstuck. I am loving every single second of it. It is just pure passion coming out of my mouth every single time I record an episode and intuition as well. And I think that that is coming across just in the way that I speak even and the confidence that I have when I talk about the mindset stuff. So I hope you will join me over there. Give me a few episodes, see if it's a good fit for you. And if you can use any of the tools that I talk about in the episodes in your own life, just test it out. There are currently, as we speak right now, five episodes out for you to check out. They're all under 30 minutes. So like I said, really quick and to the point, and I'd love to see you over there. All right, let's get into my talk with Heather Cohen. Heather is a marketing executive turned nutrition counselor, consultant, and educator. Heather is currently a nutrition therapist master and functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner candidate and advocates for informed consent, bodily autonomy, and self-directed healthcare. She speaks and writes on nutrition and lifestyle interventions for improved health and wellness. Heather successfully avoided radiation and chemotherapy and healed her body of vulvar cancer utilizing a food-as-medicine approach combined with conventional interventions such as surgery. Heather has also put two autoimmune diseases into remission, both Hashimoto's and lichen sclerosis, and reversed estrogen dominance, insulin resistance, atherosclerosis, and fatty liver through diet and lifestyle change. All right, let's go chat with Heather. 
Heather, thank you so much for coming on the Keto for Women show today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. I am super excited to share your story with the Keto for Women listeners because it is really quite the story. I think that really obviously has meant so much to you. And I think, you know, we're kind of in the same boat where it's like we get to this kind of not so great place in our life, but it opens the door up to so much else out there that it's like we end up being really grateful for what happened and how it got us to where we are now. So I would love for you to start just kind of sharing that part of your life, kind of that turning point for you, how it all came to be. Yeah. So I am a cancer survivor and that's usually where I start because that's kind of where everything opened up mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. I was kind of like chugging along on a path that I thought was right. And then I got hit with this catastrophic diagnosis. And it turns out that I wasn't doing the things I should have been doing. And I didn't even realize it until I got sick. Mm-hmm. So in 2017, I was diagnosed with vulvar cancer, cancer of the vulva, which is a very rare cancer. And it was actually caused by an autoimmune condition called lichen sclerosis, which is also very rare. Lichen sclerosis is one of the nastiest autoimmune conditions out there, in my opinion. It has to do with where your immune system starts to attack your genitalia. And as you can imagine, things get pretty scary in that area. Um, A lot of inflammation, a lot of itching. The skin gets really thin and it tears and sex life gets all messed up and all the things even just like urinating is tough. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I bet. So it's a really terrible one. And I was actually diagnosed with both in the same doctor's appointment. So I had been- Wow. And I was self-diagnosed. I just went in for verification that what I thought was there was there. Was it just a matter of you finally doing your own research, turning to Dr. Google and being like, what's really going on with me? That's exactly right. So I have had symptoms of lichen sclerosis since I was 12 years old, but I had no idea what it was. And every gynecologist kind of just brushed it off as a yeast infection or bacterial vaginosis, but the tests would come back as negative and they'd be like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, my skin's white. Like the skin turns white like paper and they still like just brush it off or wouldn't say anything or had no idea. Wow. And so I just dealt with it for like 25 years. <laughs> and at the age of 37, I was finally like, this is getting ridiculous because it kept getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. And I developed kind of a growth in the area. And I was like, that's not normal because it's not healing. It's not going away. And so I just started combing the internet and I was all over Facebook groups and Google and YouTube and everywhere I could find information. And i figured out that I probably had cancer and I definitely had lichen sclerosis. And so I went into a vulvar specialist here in Phoenix and I told them what was going on. And I told them all of the things that I had experienced. And it turns out that Hashimoto's thyroiditis often goes alongside lichen sclerosis. I also had that diagnosed 10 years before. And he's like, sounds like you're probably right. Let me examine you and we'll see. And he's like, yeah, it's definitely lichen sclerosis. Let me take a biopsy on the piece that could very well be cancer and we'll see what pathology says. And it came back positive, stage one infiltrating squamous cell carcinoma of the vulva. Wow. And so I, I diagnosed myself mm. and went in and got verification. But like I said, that was my second autoimmune condition, but I had it since I was 12. So it was actually the first one. And then Hashimoto's came later, but I didn't realize it because I hadn't figured out what it was until after the fact. Mm -hmm. So cancer sucks. There's only three ways they can kind of deal with it in today's medicine. They either burn it out with radiation, they cut it out with surgery, or they poison it out with chemotherapy. And so those were the options. Thank goodness cancer of the vulva tends to be in the tissue, and so it's usually surgically removed. And then they make sure that's not in the lymph nodes and hasn't spread to other organs. If that's the case, then they need additional treatment. So surgery was my first line of defense. Unfortunately for me, the place that was affected, the location of the lesion was very, very close to my clitoris. And so my oncologist was very direct with me and he said, I need to take your clitoris out in order to get all of the cancer. And at 37, I was like, that's like going down a rabbit hole of feminine identity. Mm -hmm, Totally. (laughs) Sexual health. Yeah. And like all of these things that I did not want to deal with. And I was like, holy crap. Okay. Can we do something else? Like, what do we need to do to keep myself intact? 
And this is when I discovered that having a fully functioning, normal body is a very top value for me. And I had no idea. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, well, here's the deal. I'll take as much as I can get with leaving you intact. And then we'll see what pathology says. If pathology says that I didn't get it all, which I'm likely not going to, you'll either need additional treatment or additional surgery. He said, or you can let me take whatever I got to take in order to get it all out. And I said, let's go with get as much as you can while leaving me intact and we'll see what pathology says. Pathology came back and said, you did not get clear margins, which is what they're looking for. So when they remove cancerous tissue, they want to get a certain width of clean tissue around the border of that sample to make sure that they got it all. So that's a clean margin. Did not get clean margins. I think it was three out of four of the edges of the sample were actually still affected by cancerous tissue. Said So you can either let me go back in and I can take whatever I need to take to get the rest of it, or I can send you over to radiology and you can talk about radiation and chemotherapy. It would have been a low-dose chemotherapy to accompany the radiation, but the radiation would have been 35 treatments of very intense radiation. And the side effects that I was looking at were things like potential loss of my rectum, affected my bladder, would have fried all of my reproductive organs, the skin in the area would have been burnt, like second, third degree burns, just terrible, terrible side effects. Oh my gosh. And so I was like, well, that's not going to (laughs) work. Like, let's go talk to my naturopath because I had been seeing a naturopathic doctor as my primary care for 10 years since I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's 10 years prior to this. And she sat me down and gave me a very stern talking to and was like, here's the deal. The type of cancer that you have, which is squamous cell, is actually a very weak cancer. We can knock it out with natural means. And there's actually a lot you can do with diet and nutritional interventions to kind of weaken the cancer or make it a little bit more uncomfortable. And I was like, tell me more, doc, tell me more. And she's like, well, let me tell you a couple stories of patients that I've had in my practice. And she told me about a gal who had ovarian cancer, not the same kind of cancer, but similar, definitely similar in area who had gone through natural treatments, did very, very well, and then decided for whatever reason to go back to conventional, and she ended up losing her rectum, intestines were burned together, terrible side effects from the radiation. Mm. She's like, so if worse comes to worse and the alternative doesn't work, you can go back to conventional if you need to and accept whatever consequences you need to accept. She goes, but... If you go the other way around and you go through conventional and then try and do alternative, oftentimes there's too much damage done with conventional treatments and alternative are just not strong enough to bring you back from those. Like, okay. And so she said, definitely get a second opinion. Don't let them take pieces that you're uncomfortable with them taking in surgery. And so her words of wisdom were very, very influential in me just taking a beat and being like, okay, wait a minute before I just make a decision because it sounds like there's no other options. Let's look and see if there are other options. And so I sat down, I started doing research and actually came across Dr. Dominic Diagostino's research using hyperbaric oxygen alongside a therapeutic ketogenic diet. And I said, oh, there's some actual research and data here. Like maybe this stuff actually works. And then thank goodness I live in Phoenix, which is like a Mecca for natural and alternative treatments. And so I was referred over to a clinic here in town who specializes in naturopathic treatment of cancer. Turns out they were actually using the ketogenic diet as kind of the foundation or kind of primary piece, at least nutritionally, and then layering alternative and clinical treatments on top of it. Mm -hmm. And so she gave me, so I, I said, okay, let's do this natural thing. Let's try this. And my oncologist on the natural side said, you got two options in terms of nutrition. You can do a mitochondrial diet, which I guess is geared towards mitochondrial health, or you can do a ketogenic diet, which is also geared towards mitochondrial health, but going alongside the Warburg effect. Otto Warburg discovered that you know, cancer is driven by glucose. Cancer cells actually have five times the glucose receptors of normal healthy cells. Mm-hmm. And because I had looked at Dominic Diagostino's research, I was like, okay, well, let's try this keto thing. And so that ended up being the basis of my treatment. And then I layered on top of that alternative treatment. So I went through high dose vitamin C IV therapies, along with a lot of other nutrients in those IVs, and then hyperbaric oxygen chamber therapy, and then a whole bunch of supplementation and a lot of lifestyle change, a lot of stress management, sleep optimization, all those things, detox. And I did all of that three times a week for probably like three and a half months, three or four months. And I was cancer-free in February. 
diagnosed in August. Wow. So that was a quick turnaround. It was quick. So I was diagnosed in August. Surgery was in September. Started keto and alternative therapies in October. Was cancer-free in February. So this coming February in a couple months will be two years cancer-free. Wow. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. But that... What a story. I mean, I have so many questions, but first this <laughs> very weird one, but I am so curious. Did you go back to the oncologist that did your surgery to tell him, you know, I'm just going to do these other therapies? And did he think you were crazy? I always get that question. And I actually <laughs> just kind of didn't go back. Okay. So once he told me, because he, I remember like in my first appointment with that oncologist, I looked him in the eye and I asked him, is there anything I can do diet and lifestyle related to help put me in a better place as I'm trying to figure out treatment for this? And he just dead on looked me in the eye and said, there's nothing you can do. This isn't your fault. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, thank you. It actually is my fault because I was treating my, my body pretty poorly. <laughs> yeah. I actually, that's another question I have for you is what do you think led up to this? Yeah. So I know exactly what the trigger was. I am allergic to gluten and dairy. And apparently I've been allergic to dairy ever since I was born. And then gluten developed a little bit later, but that was what caused all of my autoimmune to develop. And Mm -hmm. then the autoimmune went unchecked for as long as it did and developed into cancer. So that underlying cause was definitely systemic chronic inflammation. I gotcha. Okay. So once I eliminated gluten and dairy, a lot of my symptoms of lichen sclerosis started to go away. And then once I started to kind of reverse those things and my CRP, my C-reactive protein, which is the marker for inflammation and they track it for cancer as well. We didn't measure it when I had cancer, but it's estimated that it was over 100 when I had cancer. When I did finally get it tested, right when I was told I was cancer-free, it was at 10 and a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then one, about, I want to say six months ago, it was at 1.9 and I'm about to get it tested again here in December and hopefully it's down below one. But that inflammation wow. marker came down with all of the changes that I made. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. And all of my autoimmune went into remission along this journey. Yeah. yeah. So that's another, <laughs> yeah, that's something else I would love to chat about. So cancer free, but then also into remission just kind of naturally was part of this whole program you were on, this protocol, that was another factor that was involved too, that then healed. Yeah. So lichen sclerosis is in remission and Hashimoto's is in remission. My TPO antibodies are negative. I also had a third, a third of my liver was fatty and now my liver is completely healthy. There's no more fatty liver. Mm. And then a lot of other things just healed, right? When my sleep got better, my skin got better, heartburn went away, libido improved, Mm-hmm. Like you name it, bowel function regulated. All the good stuff. Yeah. Allergies went away, like lots of things. So you're feeling good now. Yeah. I feel great now. Feeling really good. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's start with diet. So keto was the way to go. You did your research. You had multiple uh, professionals telling you this was the path that was best for you. How did that look? How did that transition go? Was your keto different than maybe other people's keto, quote unquote, because of your cancer diagnosis? Like, how did it go for you? Yeah, totally. So I was eating the standard American diet and I was a very heavy fast food user because another piece of my story is chronic stress. Mm -hmm. We're going to get into that. (laughs) I was a um, marketing executive. I was actually headed into the C-suite and I was responsible for revenue growth of a tech company. They were actually at 100 million revenue at the time I was there, and they were trying to grow like ridiculous amounts year over year in order to make back money for venture capitalist investors. And so very high profile, very high stress job. And unfortunately, the company had a pretty toxic work environment. So chronic stress was a big, big deal. And I was very busy kind of running all over the place, really only focused on my job. I kind of lost myself in my job, actually. And so I did a lot of things like drink too much alcohol, (laughs) Mm -hmm. eat whatever I could grab whenever I could grab it. So it was a lot of fast food and junk, lots of carbohydrates. I've never really had a huge sweet tooth, but I've always had a very fatty, crunchy palate. So potato chips and French fries and those types of things. Mm -hmm. So that was my diet before. And then overnight, I had to switch to a very, very clean, whole foods, dairy-free, ketogenic diet. And ketogenic for me means very, very, very high fat. So 85 plus percent fat. Mm -hmm. And was that specifically because of the cancer diagnosis and trying to make that 
the treatment. That's exactly right. Okay. Yep. That's exactly right. So for cancer, if you want to use keto for cancer, you want to get your blood glucose as low as possible and your blood ketones as high as possible. Mm -hmm. Because there are a couple of hormones involved in metabolism that actually contribute to tumor growth. One is tumor necrosis factor and the other one is interleukin, is it nine? Interleukin nine? Interleukin six? Interleukin nine, I believe. (laughs) Those two hormones are involved in tumor growth and they're actually suppressed by the production of ketones. And so Mm -hmm. you want your ketones to be as high as possible. And then because the cancer cells like sugar and glucose, you want to get your glucose as low as you can without passing out, of course. And so that means extremely high fat because you will actually produce more ketones the higher percentage your fat intake is. And then the only carbohydrates I was getting at all were from green leafy vegetables or the trace in amounts that are in eggs, or if I ever ate any organ meats or anything, there would Mm -hmm. be a little bit in there. Mm -hmm. But that was it. Wow. So I I actually lived off of like fat bomb ice cream. (laughs) Uh Right, right. And then I, I didn't go as low protein as a lot of folks recommend when you're using keto for cancer. I would still eat like a ribeye steak. I would just top it with a lot of beef tallow and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And ve- my vegetables were soaked in bacon grease. Wow. So that must have been hard to go from like fast food every day to that. Was it, or was it just not that hard because it was worth it for your health? I think it would have been more difficult if I didn't have this big reason why I was doing it. Yeah. Because I had such a crazy diagnosis and I had been told that I couldn't do anything to help it myself, my rebel tendency came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, like, oh, I'll show you. <laughs> that's exactly right. I was like, okay, well, we're going to make this happen. <laughs> so there was a lot of that rolled up into it, a lot of determination and just fight. And so it, it kind of was no other option for me. I do remember having headaches. I do remember being really tired at first. I had a lot of withdrawal symptoms because mm-hmm. I had to come off of wheat because I was still eating wheat, even though I'm allergic to it. I was still eating dairy, even though I'm allergic to it. And wow casein and gluten break down into opioid components in the gut. And so you go through an opioid withdrawal, which I think is part of keto flu. Yeah. And so I had to get off of all of that. So I remember the first week, particularly the first three days were difficult, but you do what you got to do. Right. And so how did that progress to where you are now? Like, how does it look? Is it the same? You still have that super high fat percentage or how do you live life now? Sure. I tend to feel the best when I'm doing super high fat, but now my goals have changed a little bit. Instead of working on removing the rest of the cancer that was in my system, now I'm focused on building muscle because muscle metabolism competes with cancer metabolism. Mm. So the more muscle I can get on my frame, the better. And then I'm working on getting the rest of the fat off my body because if I can get myself into a healthy body fat percentage, it actually brings down my probability of recurrence by like 80%. Mm, so mm. I'm working on body recomposition right now. So things are a little bit different. So my protein has come up a little bit. My fat has come down, but it's still a pretty strict ketogenic diet, still whole foods, no dairy, no sugar, no grains, no starch. Basically I eat meat, vegetables, nuts, seeds, coffee, tea, water. That's it. Got it. I love it. That's great. What else are you doing in regards to now that being the goal? And it, I think it's so fascinating to, you know, a lot of people have body composition change goals as like the goal, mm-hmm. right? Either lose fat, gain muscle, be more fit, whatever you want to call it. But when you tack on, because it is cancer preventative, right? especially for someone who is worried about reoccurrence or needs to at least keep that top of mind, it takes on like a whole new frame there. It's like has this whole new, I guess, outlook. Like, yes, body composition is awesome, but it's also going to keep my cancer at bay. Yeah. So I had to go through a couple of different trainers before they understood what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Because I do have a trainer. I actually work with Crystal Love Sykes over at Keto Savage. She's kicking my butt, making muscles. Yeah, cool. But before Crystal, nobody really seemed to understand the ketogenic diet one because sports nutrition is completely backwards from anything that we know to be true now. And they also, like, they didn't seem to understand customization for someone like me who had a very specific health background and a lot of metabolic damage in my history. And so they were like telling me I had to be at 15% body fat and I needed to like go balls to the wall. And I'm like, Hey, I have a history of adrenal fatigue. Maybe you shouldn't Mm -hmm. kill me. (laughs) Yeah. That's going to put you right back into the 15% body fat as a woman. 
Yeah. I'm like 15%. 15% is like, I'm competing in like a bikini competition. Exactly. (laughs) My goal is just to get under 30, like give me to 27. That's healthy, normal, (laughs) average. Right, right. Yeah. So that was an adventure. So that took a little bit of trial and error before I could find someone who kind of understood what was what. And so Crystal's helping me on the programming side for my fitness. So she writes me workouts every week. And so I go into the gym and kick my own butt in terms of building muscle. And then I still manage my own nutrition. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I'm working it now. I'm still making sure that I'm getting good sleep, make sure that I'm recovering. That's been an adventure. I love Zumba. So I do a lot of dancing on a regular basis. I love Zumba too. I used to be an instructor. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. It's so great. Every single day I do at least an hour. Most of the time it's two hours a day of Zumba. Wow. That's amazing. It's a lot of cardio. It's a lot of cardio. And I'm trying to be like, okay, can I build muscle and do cardio? Crystal says, Mm -hmm. just eat, just eat all the things. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) That's what we're doing. (laughs) So it's really just managing my macronutrient percentages, making sure I'm still in ketosis. I still test my blood. I don't do it every day, but I test eh, probably once or twice a week to make sure I'm still on track. And I can usually feel it by now because it's been two years that I've been doing this. So I can usually tell when I'm in or out of ketosis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'm doing the Zumba on a regular basis and then three times a week weightlifting. So that's how things have kind of changed, just really amping up my physical activity. But I have to be careful because of my history, specifically with the adrenal fatigue and the thyroid stuff to not go overboard. And so when I'm tired, I rest. And if I have to take a day off, I take a day off, listen to my body. Yeah. I love that so much. You have such a good attitude about it and kind of the way that you're seeing it. And I'm assuming that before this diagnosis, you were so stressed, you didn't have time for any sort of physical activity. Correct. The most I did (laughs) was lift the remote control. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So what an amazing lifestyle change you've made. Everything changed. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I want to talk about now is So we've got the keto, which has done incredible things, obviously moving your body, gaining muscle, just being active, incredible things, but there's other stuff too. And you mentioned this majorly stressed out place that you were in a high profile job, not a lot of time for yourself. And you basically said like you let your job kind of swallow you up and take over your life. That's right. So, you know, like self-care, even just self awareness goes out the window. Absolutely. I didn't have a lot of awareness. So the question I could never answer when I was working that job was, what do you like to do for fun? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that question would always take me aback. I'm like, what do I do for fun? Like I could not answer that question. (laughs) Yeah. That's actually a really good question for people to sit and ask themselves right now. And it's actually one I have on my intake forms for clients is like, what are your hobbies? And a lot of people were like, well, I used to do X, Y, Z. And then I had kids or like, now I don't have time or, you know, so that's a really good question just to ask yourself to get an idea of where you're sitting as far as like general life enjoyment. Yeah. Yeah. Everything was lopsided for me. Everything was about my job. Mm -hmm. It was at work, I was working. At home, I was either working or thinking about work or stressing out about a deadline or how the executives were going to react because numbers weren't where they were supposed to be that month or whatever it was. And I didn't do anything else. In order for me to shut my brain off or quiet my mind, I would sit on the couch and watch trashy television because for some reason that was enough for me to zone out and not think about work. Mm -hmm. But that was all I was doing. I wasn't doing anything else. So there was no hobby for me to say that I did on the weekends. (laughs) Right, exactly. And then- It was terrible. Yeah, and so your mind is taken over by this negativity, essentially, with all that stress and the pressure and just not really having anything to enjoy that's your own at that point. And so it sounds to me like then, again, also with this diagnosis, kind of this bottom level for you, came the realization like, oh no, I also have to get this in check. Oh yeah. I was like, well, while we're at it, let's go to therapy. (laughs) Uh That's so fascinating. Oh, I love that. Like if we're going to do it, let's do it hardcore. Like let's get vulnerable and let's talk about like all of the trauma that I've been through in the workplace. Let's get through all of that stuff. And so part of my team was a therapist. So I went to counseling and she helped me through not just the trauma of my diagnosis and getting through all of that, but I had to like grieve through 
loss of my health and realization that I had lost my health, but I also had to like feel guilty about how I contributed myself and the bad habits, like eating things I'm allergic to, even though I knew I was allergic to them. Mm-hmm. And then let go of that and forgive myself and work through all of that. That was tough. And then work through all the trauma I had been through at, in the workplace and realized that a lot of the things that they were putting on my shoulders were too big for one person. So there was a lot of junk like in my head that I had to work through in order to heal. And once I started to, my healing really accelerated. Ooh, I love that. That's so great. One of the questions I get asked about the most is which supplements you all should be taking. Knowing what supplements you actually need and then finding a high quality brand is so hard. You all know by now how seriously I take supplements and how picky I am about which ones I recommend. That is why I'm so happy to be partnering with Care-of. Care-of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to get the right vitamins, supplements, and protein powders for your specific needs. Whether you're looking for glowing skin, more energy, better sleep, or something to support your health and fitness, Care Of helps you build and stick with a plan that's right for you. Fall is a great time to set some new goals, get back into a healthy routine, and reprioritize yourself. All you do, take a short, fun five-minute quiz and answer easy questions about your diet, lifestyle, and health needs. Get a research back recommendation with the vitamins, supplements, and or protein powders you need based on your completely personalized quiz results. Your care of order then gets shipped right to your door in convenient daily packs, perfect for a busy on-the-go lifestyle. Just throw a couple in your suitcase when traveling or one in your bag on the way to the gym every morning. Care-of makes it easy to see where they source their ingredients from and ensure only the highest quality products. I did this all, and based on my quiz results, Care-of recommended I work on my brain health, stress response, and fitness level, which I totally agreed with. So now every day, I take a packet of pills curated just for me to work on these specific things. And it's all so cute and customized. The packets even say your name on them. And the best part, in my opinion, are the fun facts, jokes, and daily tests that also come printed. I've come to look forward to reading them every single morning, which means I also look forward to taking my supplements. It can be really hard to know what vitamins or supplements you should be taking, but Care-of makes it easy to find out what you specifically need to be your healthiest. And they make sure what you're putting in your body comes from the best sources backed by honest guidance and transparency, all available to you on their website. That makes me a big fan, and I think you will be too. For 25% off your first Care-of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the code keto the number for women that's take care of.com enter keto the number for women for 25% off your first care of order so it was a matter of doing the work like really sitting down and the hard work stock. It, uh, and we talked about this before i hit record is just working on mental and emotional health it is hard It is so much easier to do the diet, do the workouts, take the supplements, do the testing, whatever that kind of stuff, which we do talk about here on Keto for Women a lot. But then there's this other facet, which is that mental and emotional health and really diving into your mindset and your beliefs and your thoughts and emotions and figuring all that stuff out. And it is often like 90% junk. (laughs) Absolutely. It all feeds into your daily habits that relate to diet and nutrition. And we don't think about that. We don't connect those dots. We think, well, I eat the donut because I like the way the donut tastes, or I like the way the donut makes me feel. But we don't think about, well, my concept of self-care and self-love is actually lopsided and self-care and self-love actually manifests as self-indulgence for me instead of self-discipline. Mm-hmm. Doing things that I think feel good, but are not good for me instead of doing things that are good for me. And I can also feel good for doing them. You can have both. Yes, you can absolutely have both. So would you be willing to share something that you learned about yourself in that process that you didn't know was kind of going on in the background that perhaps contributed to becoming sick? Well, that was one. I was self-indulgent. My definition of self-care was self-indulgence. So I would go home and have a bottle of wine and a pizza 
because it felt good. It tasted good. It like relieved stress, but I didn't realize that it was putting more stress on my body <laughs> to eat, ingest all of that. Yeah. It was like, it felt good in the moment. That's exactly right. And I didn't think about the consequences or I wouldn't go exercise or I wouldn't go to dinner with friends because I was too tired and I wanted to sit on the couch. And I thought that was good for me. It's actually better for me to actually go out and socialize and blow off steam or to go to the gym and exercise and get my body moving. Mm -hmm. So I had to relearn what self-indulgence versus self-discipline were. And so self-love and self-care is really about self-parenting. So you need to find the courage or the guts to do the things that your mom would tell you to do when mom's not around mm-hmm. because that's the stuff that's good for you. Oh, I love that. That's so true. That was a big one. Yeah. The other thing is I didn't have my values aligned. So I couldn't tell you what I did for fun because I thought that what I wanted out of life was to climb the ladder in corporate America, have the big title, have the fancy paycheck, all of those things. I had those things, but I still wasn't fulfilled because Mm -hmm. it turns out those things are not aligned to my values. And so I actually had to work through and figure out what the heck my values were. And at the same time, I had to figure out how to emotion. Ah, (laughs) I'm very logical. I'm one of those very kind of right-brained people. I get the data, I get the research, I get the trends, like all that stuff. But I couldn't identify emotions other than anger. Anger is obvious. It's easy. I get that one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So my therapist actually like gave me the sheet and she's like, point to what you're feeling. And I was like, oh man, this is a new one for me. (laughs) Yeah. Like what is this even, this feeling that I'm having, what is this? Yep. Yep. And so I had to figure out how to identify, process, and feel my emotions. So that was a big one. And it turns out I was holding on to a lot of stuff that I didn't realize I was holding on to. And once I started to learn how to identify emotions and process them, it's like, okay, it sucks to feel it for a minute. But then once you do, you feel so much better and you let mm-hmm. it go. Yes. So there was just a lot of emotional buildup because I was emotionally stunted, I guess, because I didn't know how. <laughs> yeah. You kind of had turned it off. And again, that's probably a case where having such a high profile, really stressful job made it easier for you to continue to turn your back Absolutely. on feeling and emoting because you were so busy and you were so stressed that you didn't have time to feel the feelings. Not just that, but also it's not, it's not appropriate in the workplace, right? Mm-hmm, to have true. feelings. Like I need to be professional and like even keel always. Yeah. So I think it was a little bit of the environment that I was in and the pace at which I was running was kind of justification to go ahead and not emote. Got it. So we haven't talked about it, but I think it's probably pretty obvious you're not in that job anymore. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When I decided that I was going to go ahead and do alternative cancer treatments to finish up taking care of what they couldn't get in surgery... I decided that I I needed to make healing my full-time job. So healing myself was my job for, what is that, three or four months. And so I went ahead and left my job. And instead, I started my own marketing agency. So that is what I have now. I have a marketing agency where I take on clients, very select clients. And I only work part-time. And it's much, much better. (laughs) So cool. And it gave you the opportunity to truly see what that role had done to you physically, mentally, emotionally, but it gave you the ability to do some of that stress relief, heal your adrenals, do the like stress detox kind of stuff. Yep. It gave me the space to be tired when I needed to be tired instead of just pushing through because I had deadlines and whatever. So now I hire folks that do a lot of the day-to-day work for me. And I take on only the projects that really kind of push my buttons in terms of the things I get excited about. And I only work, I want to say like three days a week. Mm-hmm. So very, very selective with my time as far as work is concerned. Instead yeah. of number one priority, it's like five. Right. Yeah. Right. So in that process, what did you learn for you are some of your tried and true, like must do keep this stress at bay techniques? Yeah. So I have this overachiever type personality that I think I was born with where I need to take on other people's issues and fix them because apparently nobody's capable of fixing their own stuff. 
in my head. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to learn to kind of keep that stuff at an arm's length. So for example, if I have a marketing client who has engaged with me to help run their advertising and I can see into their business and see that maybe their email marketing or another piece of their business isn't quite right, I need to cognizantly not reach into their business and try and fix that other piece that would make what I'm working on work better. (laughs) Ah, interesting. Because I have a tendency to get like my hands into everything, like my tentacles spread out, which is another reason why I was so stressed in my job. But it's a reason why I've, it's a reason why I was so successful in corporate America because I grabbed all the things that fell out of everybody else's basket, but then I end up overstretched and overtaxed. Yeah. Your to-do list becomes way too long. Yep. So I've learned to keep my hands to myself (laughs) and stay in my box. (laughs) That's good. I love it. So that's probably the biggest thing. And you mentioned sleep hygiene is something that you take seriously. Yep. So I go to bed on the same time every single night. I do try and exercise in the morning because if you exercise in the morning, it helps regulate your sleep at night, circadian rhythms. I'm not too good about getting sunshine in my eyes first thing in the morning, but I try when I think about it. Mm -hmm. I don't do any caffeine or anything like that because of the history of adrenal fatigue. Caffeine went away a long time ago. It makes me crazy. What else do I do? Oh, there's this new contraption that I learned about when I was going through cancer treatment because my oncologist always had a new sheet for me whenever I would go in. I would see her three times a week and she'd always give me a one-sheeter of new information. It's called an earthing sheet. Mm, And so there's the phenomenon where you go outside and you put your bare skin against the dirt or the grass or the earth and it's positive and negative ion exchange and it helps kind of balance you out and make you nice and peaceful and regulate sleep. Now they have these sheets that you put on your bed and you actually plug them into the grounding outlet in your wall, the little circle guy on the bottom. And it's supposed to do the same thing that you would do if you were laying outside in the grass. Wow. I sleep with one of those on my bed and my husband- Do you feel different? I I think I do. Yeah. My husband actually has never been a good sleeper and I got one for him and he's been sleeping better too. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yes. I think it does help. So that means it's doing something. Very cool. Could be psychosomatic, but it works. So we're going with it. That's okay. Sleep, (laughs) however you can get it. Sleep is good. (laughs) Absolutely. So let's go back. We mentioned values. You didn't know what your values were. You probably maybe didn't really have values besides do work back in the day. And that was something that came along with this whole life change. Mm -hmm. First of all, will you share your values with us now? Sure. And... And then also we'll get into maybe how we can, for those of us that are like, I don't know, I've never thought about it, how we can maybe start to figure out what those could, might be for us. Yeah, sure. It's a hard question to answer. When I first started to think about it, I had just had a blank mm-hmm. blank in yeah. my brain. I was like, uh, I have no idea how to even go about answering this question. But the more I started to work on myself, the more they just kind of came about. So it turns out health is a very, very strong value of mine. And having a working, normal, functioning body is a very strong value of mine. So those are super important things to me. And so now my health and wellness has actually become my number one top priority on top of everything else. Like that's the first thing. And then people always say this, but some of us have to learn the hard way. Friends and family (laughs) are actually a value of mine. Having those good, positive, personal connections Mm -hmm. are a value. And believe it or not, but they kind of weren't when I was work-focused. I would cancel all the time on friends and family for all kinds of events and get-togethers and things. And I wasn't really present when I was home with my husband. We were just kind of in opposite rooms playing on our electronics or reading or whatever. But I've really made an effort to get closer and kind of reignite a lot of those relationships. And they were so helpful when I was going through my cancer treatments. Mm -hmm. And so that is definitely a value, just having personal connection and support of some kind. And not just them supporting me, but me supporting them as well. It's good for you. At least I find that it's good for me. Mm -hmm. And then a peaceful, healthy external environment is also a value of mine. So I need to have a home space that's safe and comfortable and easy to to sit in where I can go and just kind of let go of everything else. Mm -hmm. And so now I have workspace that's workspace designated in my house and I have non-workspace that's 
non-workspace. And I'm getting better about only working in my workspace, but it's taking some time. The work in progress. The work in progress. But having that like space to yourself where you know that, okay, this is just me and I can be me here without any expectations or out any weirdness. That was a, a value of mine. Yeah. Peace is one of mine too. Yep. It's so important. I don't think people realize it and I didn't realize it either. And I think maybe it comes from being in, you know, a life of not having any peace or not recognizing it at all. And potentially like that super burnout stress feeling Mm -hmm. where it's like, I know that I can get better if I just have some peace. Yep. Absolutely. Like that's how it felt for me. It's like, I just, my brain needs to be at peace. My body needs to be at peace. Like I need to feel this. And I, I mean, obviously that extends to your environment, right? It's so yep. much easier to get into a peaceful spot if you have this peace in your environment. So I think it, maybe it does stem from just being like you're having your adrenals be fried out and yeah. knowing that that would be the ticket. It's very possible. And then freedom, I think, is probably one of the other big values of mine. Like now I own my time. I decide who I work with, when I work with them. I decide what I eat. I decide what I do in terms of healthcare and how I'm going to treat my body. I'm in control 100%, which means that I'm free. Mm -hmm. So freedom, peace, connection. Health. Health. Yeah. Yeah. That's so all. Like so, so, so important. And how was your process of finding those? A lot of it, like I said, was just really like they would come up when I was working on myself. So for all of that time that I was going through cancer treatment, I was was not working. Well, I was working on my own business. So I was building my website and lining up clients and doing that kind of stuff. But for two hours, three times a week, I was sitting in a chair, getting an IV, talking with other cancer patients, learning their journeys, learning how they ended up getting sick, what they thought that their root cause was, telling my story, sharing you know, all of the things that come with research when you're sick, trying to figure out how to not be sick. Mm-hmm. And then I spent another hour in the HBOT all by myself hanging out. So I had a lot of time to reflect and a lot of time to think through things. And as my body got stronger, it felt like my mind got stronger and then my soul, whatever that is, got stronger. Mm-hmm. They just came to me like, oh, okay, now I'm able to go hiking with my husband and I'm not out of breath. And so maybe being physically well is a value of mine. Maybe that's important because I wasn't able to do that before. Yeah. It's like you go through these things in life and you realize like, wow, that really had an important factor to how I felt today. That's right. You know, and so it's like you just start making this connection or introspection with yourself and your body and your mind and like what feels good? Like what would I not want to give up ever basically? Yeah. Like, oh, holy crap. I let myself get to a place where I couldn't do this before. Mm -hmm. This feels good. Mental note, let's always be able to do this. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) So that's the value. Yes, exactly. And I think it is super important. And I know you would agree for women to start doing this work and finding out at minimum, find out your values, find out what makes you happy, what makes you feel alive, what you do for fun. Like all of these questions start doing that work so that you can understand more about what you need to get more of in life for that to happen. Absolutely. And I think if you think about it kind of in a backwards, like reverse engineer, what do you spend most of your time and money and mind space on? Those should be the most important things in your life. If you're spending the most of your time, your money, and your your headspace on those things, those should be the most important things to you. Those, those should be aligned with your values. And if they're not, reverse engineer them. Like, why are you focusing so much on this? Mm-hmm. And then ask again, why? Well, because of this, okay, then why, why that? And just kind of dig deep and maybe you'll get to how it connects or you'll realize it doesn't connect. Because for me, I was constantly striving on achievement, 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 achievement. Like (laughs) I had to be president of everything in high school. And then in college, I had to be working 16 jobs and going to school. And then Mm -hmm. I had to be the head of whatever the heck job I was working. And so it was always about achievement. And when I shifted and said, okay, what actually fulfills me? And now I'm chasing fulfillment. The achievement just kind of happens because I'm in a headspace where I can look up and see those opportunities and go after them instead of looking down 
in such a tunnel vision kind of way that I miss everything else. Yeah. And it happens so much more naturally and it's so much more fun to get there because you're actually enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. You're doing what's fulfilling you instead of like what you think you should be doing or think you want and, you know, end up spending your time busting your butt on something that doesn't actually matter to you or doesn't light you up. So absolutely. It all matters. And I love your story so much because it is fully incorporating all of this. It's not just yeah, I went keto and all this happened and now life's great because you had to do a lot more work. And yes, obviously yep. keto was such a huge factor and it is for so many of us, but it's not all there is to it. Absolutely. And I think it actually works better for you if you get your head straight. <laughs> yes, I fully agree. I'm so glad you said that. I fully agree. And now you're moving on to potentially make this part of your career path and kind of paying it yeah. forward and helping others. So tell us about that. That's right. So right now I'm finishing up my functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner certificate. Mm -hmm. So I'm be working with the FDN to help other folks try and take back their life and live life on their terms, specifically through nutrition and lifestyle interventions like I've done for myself. And so helping folks kind of troubleshoot what their root cause may or may not be and helping them make changes to get there would be great. And then in February next year, I actually start the NTP program at the NTA. Yay. So exciting. I yeah. obviously I love the NTA but, since I am one, but yeah, it's a great program. And especially like everything you're doing in combination will be so beneficial for so many people. So tell people more about where they can find you, the work that you're doing, your website, if there's any social medias, that kind of thing. Sure. So you can always find me at heathercohen.com. Last name is spelled C-O-O-A-N. HeatherCohen.com. And then I'm Heather Cohen on all of the socials. So I do have a YouTube channel. There's no content there yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm on Instagram at, at Heather Cohen. And then on Facebook, I actually have a few Facebook groups. One is specific for Keto for Cancer. Just look for Keto for Cancer. There's Clean Keto with Heather Cohen. So if you just want to do keto for no specific health reason, but you want to do it clean style like I do, there's that group. And then I've got one that's called Keto for Autoimmunity where I'm helping a lot of folks just learn how to deal with their autoimmunity the way that I did through nutrition. And that's not just keto, but going through what do you react to? Mm -hmm. So a lot of removing reactive foods specific to your yourself. Right. Oh, all so important. Yes. Yeah, that is so, so important. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for being open, for doing this work and just teaching women there's so much more that they're not yet considering when it comes to their diet and their lifestyle. I think it's super important work. I'm so glad to have more women out there doing it and it's going to make a big, big change. Yay. I'm so happy to help wherever I can. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, thank you, Heather. And we'll chat soon. Yes. Thanks so much, Sean. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. 